A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. Dan here along with Phil Hay from The Athletic. How are you doing, Phil? Day one of the season. We're underway now. Should we get straight into it? Talk about um, yesterday's game against Cardiff. I can't take it, Daniel. I, um, <laughs> I, came at, I came at the ground yesterday and somebody said to me, it's August the 6th. And I think um, you can see that on everybody's faces. People thinking we're only one game in here and already it's, it's like this. How many games do we have at Ellen Road like this? I, I, Ellen Road can't be totally unique in this sense, but it does just seem to be a kind of magnet for mayhem. You know, that, that game yesterday really did play out like it was a game with everything riding on it. Like it was, you know, kind of like the last game of the season, game that was, was going to define everything. And you'd sort of asked me on the live stream we did on Sunday, does the first game of the season define what comes next or set the tone? And I sort of said, well, it's a, a little bit early to say that. But it felt as if the players were playing that way, you know, at 2-0 down, as if they knew that they needed to get something from that game. And I think the fallout would have been pretty negative had they lost it. Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's um, It was about setting the tone, maybe even just in terms of how the fans receive this team and the ownership and the direction that this is all going. We, need, we needed to see something, didn't we? And it's actually interesting. I loved your um, your report on the game. And I will read this one word for word. But every coach who braves the dugout discovers that Ellen Road does not do beige. It has taken Farker one game to find that out. Yeah, it, it felt a bit yesterday like Gelhart against Norwich. You know, like the, the last minute goals that seemed to come so often. And I think I think it was good for Farker that they they clawed it back. I mean, that, I guess that kind of goes without saying. But there is this question, isn't there? And this was the sort of gist of the, of the read this morning. This question about who is actually going to be at Leeds when the window closes. I, I think the bigger question, kind of who wants to be at Leeds when the, the window closes, to go back to that Liam Cooper quote of, you know, if 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 you don't want to be here, then fuck off, is, is what he said, you know, at the end of last season. That's next year's Valentine's card sorted, Phil. <laughs> I mean, some people have genuinely taken him as well, didn't they? You know, that, that I think was the Max Verber defection, was that I want to be elsewhere, I, I want to go. But... It will please Fark, aside from the fact that they dominated a lot of the game and they and they really did batter Cardiff in the second half. They're comfortably the better team and absolutely deserve something from the game. I think they deserve to win it, to be quite honest, without pretending that there weren't flaws in the performance and without pretending that there weren't some quite glaring issues that we, you know, all, all knew about had spoken about beforehand were kind of amplified by or magnified by the game itself. I think to see them still pushing through in the 95th minute and, and scoring tells him that the players wanted it. They, they wanted the result and, and also speaks pretty highly, highly of the fitness levels. And I think in, in what has been a really short preseason, those are the two things that he was able to really work on fitness and, and tactics. It's personnel 
for him, really. I think that is the lesson of, of yesterday's game, that they are still quite a distance from being finished when it comes to positions being filled, enough cover and enough depth, and being totally set up to, to really have a go at promotion. What did you make of the style of football then? Because it feels like we saw, like you say, the, the sort of the base of the pyramid being laid down there yesterday, if you like, like in terms of the of the fitness and the passing style. And now it's the personnel that we get that we will use to build on that. But what did you make specifically of the style? Much more possession based than we saw last season, and very intense as well. Possession based, but and and so a, you know, decent amount of control in it. There were points at which they were. Definitely, definitely lacks in possession. There were obviously two moments where they got caught out defensively. And I think while they need goals, and and that clearly needs to be addressed, I think Leeds are a team who for a couple of years now have been out of the habit of clean sheets, out of the habit of restricting opposition attacks. And it was, I think, quite telling how few opportunities Cardiff needed to very nearly win that game yesterday. I mean, they offered literally nothing after half time and not so much in the first half either but the, the two occasions where they got through and, and caught Leeds out on, on either flank they were able to score um, and Parker said afterwards he thinks he can address that, he thinks he can address it quite quickly but that is one area that, that definitely needs to improve. I really like the balance between Ampadu and Archie Gray. Archie Gray's debut was terrific I thought for 17 year old and, and you know I think everybody came away thinking he you know he is that good um, and a lot of us felt that anyway a, a lot of people who've seen with the 21s will have will have believed that but physically and um you know technically he coped no problem yesterday but I like you know Ampadu slightly deeper gray with a bit of license to push forward I think one of the reasons why it's a little bit difficult to properly analyze Farkas football at the moment is that that front four, while it's got a lot of pace and it's got a lot of talent and creativity, um, it's it's clearly imbalanced. You know, it needs a nine in it as opposed to somebody like Nonto. I'm not saying Nonto shouldn't start, but you need a centre forward in the centre forward's role. And, and Farker keeps making that point himself, you know, that, that it isn't as he'd want it to be. And I think that meant that Leeds had to be slightly one-dimensional in the way that they played yesterday. They had to rely on the, the pace and the trickery to make it happen. And it's not that Farker is a long ball manager at all. You know, you look at the stats at Norwich, he really is quite the opposite or was in the championship when he was manager there. But having a, a natural goal scorer up front, a proper centre forward, makes a difference, I think, automatically will make a difference to the way Leeds play. But the fact is they were better than Cardiff. Not perfect, not without flaws, not without things that need to be addressed. But there was one team trying to win that yesterday and, and there was one team who should have won it. In terms of the defensive structure then, do you think we're still seeing a little bit of a hangover? And did this translate into the atmosphere, actually, maybe in a more uh, a broad sense? The ghosts of last year maybe haunting like Pascal Strauch, who's had a really, really tough couple of years and has struggled, mm. I think, under whether it's the weight of expectation, but maybe it was the post-Liverpool um, when he broke Harvey Elliott's leg. He, he never seemed to be quite the same player after he came back after that. And he's still taking that little bit of time to regain his composure because there were a couple of occasions where you saw a ball being sort of floated over his head and he looked a little bit all at sea. I think there are quite a few players at Leeds, or have been a few players at Leeds, who've suffered on the basis that the the club's form has just dropped through the floor. You know, from 2021 onwards, you could apply that to to Melier. I think you have others like Joe Gelhart who who hasn't really pushed forward. You know, to the extent where he would have been an option up front, you'd have thought um, yesterday. But it was it was Nonto who Farker preferred, and I totally understand that. You know, I, I think probably the I think we might have actually called the lineup right on Sunday. Amazingly, um, but we were kind of saying that you know that that might be that might be the shout. People are making the point. I think it's a good one. And, 
the first half that the back five were all here last season. The back five are existing members of a defence that's been struggling for a long, long time. And whether that's because of individual personnel or because of structure or a mixture of both, the fact is that Leeds have been conceding an awful lot of goals for, for ages now. And I think there are games where somebody like Sam Byram at left-back, for example, is going to come under far more pressure than he did when he was on in the second half. But he made a difference. And, you know, there's a there's a fresh player, there's a new player, there's a, a new signing. I, I accept that his injury record has not been great. And I think I said yesterday before the match, that's what he'll be judged on more than anything, is can he stay fit through the season? That's what this, this transfer, uh, how it will be looked at. That's the lens that you'll look at it through. But he is a good player. You know, we know from experience with Byron that he is talented and and he tightened things up. He he was more effective, I felt, in that role than um, Leo Helder had been in the first half. And it just made you think that the team still needs freshening up. You know, th- that lineup yesterday was built largely on retentions, with the exception of Ampadu. Uh, Byron, another new player to the fore. Darlow, I think, will come into the frame before long. I, I don't really don't think Farker has signed him to to sit on the bench. But fresh blood elsewhere, it would make a difference. And I think it would make a difference at the back. And even with somebody like Charlie Creswell, a couple of occasions where he, he probably took the ball on too far or further than he should have done um, in the opposition half, but looked really solid. And after a, a very strong, convincing loan at, at Millwall in the end, somebody there to be used, somebody different, somebody who's probably worth a chance. Yeah, and I thought with Creswell coming on, there was that um, that first ball that came up towards his head and he just powered in there and absolutely went through the back of the attacker and it was a stark. It was, a tech, wasn't it? It was like an Undertaker tombstone. That, yeah, yeah, it was a, st- a stark reminder, but also a comical reminder of um, of the championship and the style compared to the Premier League, where you might argue it's a little bit more, I don't know, sophisticated than stuff like that in the Premier League. But at that moment, it needed somebody to get in there, be dominant, and win that header. And the crowd responded to it as well, and responded to him carrying it out, even though maybe he was a little bit indisciplined in his positioning and it left a bit of a gap yeah. that somebody had to fill. But uh, under the circumstances and given how deep Cardiff was sat, it was worth it, wasn't it? It was uh, It was nice. It was exciting. People do like that as well. Like Football has become, as time's gone on and it's become more technical or the analysis of it has become more technical. You know, everybody is so now fixated on skill and finesse and everything else. But there is there is place in the game still for, for challenges like that. And I always feel with Creswell that you get a mixture of both things. He is good on the ball. He, he, he does know how to use it, but he's pretty uncompromising and, and he seems like a, a brave centre-back to me. We've kind of been banging the drum for, for him for a little while. I think we were all quite surprised at the way in which Leeds seemed will, willing to let him go in January had, had the right offer come in. But I think having seen that he can he could cope with Millwall, beside, you know, who, who were up around the playoffs right the way through last season, it... it seems like madness really not to think that he could do you a job this season, especially when the light is centre-back and more so now with the injury to Liam Cooper. We haven't had any news on that yet, but it didn't look particularly good. No, do we know exactly what that was? Because I've watched the replay of that and he just seemed to kind of, I don't know, jar his his whole leg, but the, the injury seems to be centred to somewhere around the ankle. Yeah, that's what Farker was saying afterwards, at the ankle kind of foot area, having a look at, at, at exactly what the damage is. But, you know, that, that looks to the naked eye like it's going to be an absence of some sort you don't imagine him you know looking at the way he was trying to walk behind the goal line and struggling you know you don't see him being at Birmingham on Saturday and I feel for him as well because he does have this offer from Saudi Arabia and I think in his situation with 12 months to go 31 now a lot of football behind him 
it's very different, I feel, to Max Verber's situation. Verber seemed to be saying, I want to be elsewhere. You know, I just want to go and play for, for another club, I want to go to the Bundesliga. I think this is more of a life decision for, for Cooper. But what the effect will be of this injury, um, it, it might well have been that he was minded to stay anyway. But if it is fairly long term or if it isn't isn't great, then you would imagine that that would put that move in doubt. Ten million pounds and we'll we'll start to talk, I think seems fair if we're talking yeah, seems, seems about right, yeah. Saudi money. Yeah, it does feel like I think maybe you saw this in um the fact when Creswell came in, just something different. Um mm-hmm. maybe that's what it does need. It needs freshening up, that different voice, that different different presence in there. Yeah, I, well again, I liked Ampadu yesterday and, and Archie Gray as well. It is different. It is it is fresh. I mean, I said the team would be built on retentions. You know, aside from Ampadu, Gray's probably the exception there. You know, it was his it was his debut, although I think it's only circumstance that stopped the debut coming much sooner. You know, he, he probably would have played in the League Cup last season at least, had it not been for the ankle ankle injury that he had in the summer in that game against Villa. And then a virus um around about the time of the the um the early rounds of the, the Carabao Cup. But it's been in, in the pipeline in the post for for a while. And you can see I, I you know, this the game against Shrewsbury this week is the sort of game that you would set aside a seventeen-year-old for normally. But you've got to think that um, Farker will be looking at him at the moment and saying, "Well, listen, Birmingham's the priority on Saturday. I need the the grey Ampadu axis again." You know, and, and you you hold him back and use somebody else. Um, he looks ready for it, I think, and and he was he was a big plus from the game yesterday. Yeah, it was really nice to watch him. And sometimes you forget that he was only 17. He was very, very composed, wasn't he? He just got caught on a couple of occasions, but and his positioning sometimes was a little bit askew, as Farker picked up on in the in the post-match. But, I mean, so few things you can actually fault him on um, compared to all the good stuff that he did. It was um, it was a really uh, accomplished performance, wasn't it, for a 17-year-old God? Yeah, it, it's, it's... Somebody was asking me afterwards how good was Sam Byron when he was young, and I was saying he was really, really talented, still is. You know, still a good, good footballer. But... I never quite had Byron on the level of, say, Fabian Delph, you know, who's the, the one who I remember coming through right when I first started writing about Leeds. And the thing about Delph was that you'd launch him into the team and it was just like shrug of the shoulders and off he went, tricks and top performances. It feels a little bit like that with Archie Gray. You know, you put him in for that game and it's fine. You know, it's it's no sweat. He goes through it. He's going to have games where he gets targeted. He's going to have games that don't go well. It's inevitable even... You remember recent memory with Calvin Phillips under Bielsa, as, as brilliant as he was, you had matches where Bielsa was substituting him after 20, 30 minutes. You know, it it, it does occur. And, and you know, the, the more attention that's on Gray, the more opposition players are going to try and target him. But I think for now, and you'd like to think that we'll, we'll see additions in the centre of midfield, but I think for now, he's he's a starting player. You know, I think he stays in the team, as does, does Ampadu. I have to say, that moment where he, um, he spun on the ball, uh, he, he did get tackled uh, or lost the ball, like almost immediately afterwards, but just to turn out of like so there were sort of two or three players swarming him, and he just span on the ball. And I thought, imagine having the the balls to do that at seventeen years old in front of thirty six thousand people in a football stadium. It's it's quite something. But that's what marks out really top footballers, you know, elite footballers. Is it just comes really naturally to them, and they they know that they can do it, and they know that they can pull it off. Some of the tricks that, and it was League One, but some of the tricks that Delph used to do, you just thought it's like he's he's playing in, in the street and really, really unfazed by it. I think there were a couple of moments like that with, with Gray where his feet just looked great. But the bit that stood out for me was late in the, the second half where he, he came from a deep midfield position to just suddenly pop up in this patch of about 20 yards of space, you know, with the kind of the freedom to, to pull the strings and to pick a pass from there. 
And it's one of the things I've noticed with him. He, he's clearly very good on the ball, you know, technically proficient, but he seems to be great at finding gaps and putting himself in, self in areas where, where he can play and, and cause a problem. Could, it could well be a big season for him, this one. Yeah, you mentioned Ampadu there. I thought it was great. And on the evidence of yesterday, and it's only a small sample size, but um, a bargain at seven, rising to 10 million quid, he seemed really, really just very, very tidy and efficient. Well, it comes back to the fact that there are good players in this squad. It's just not complete and the, the balance isn't right. And I think the balance is exactly what Farker needs. And if you if you give him that, I get the feeling that Leeds will be really competitive. And it seems to me that, you know, it's not that there's just one position to address, but a, a dependable, reliable, prolific number nine would, would make such a difference, I think, as a, as a kind of basic starting point. I mean, there will be, you know, there will be changes before the end of the window. They will sign other players, I'm, I'm sure of that. I think it's looking increasingly likely that we're going to see Tyler Adams go quite shortly. Chelsea looking like they're, they're very keen on him, expecting that to move forward this week, although it's not as if they're the only club that, that like him. But uh, I was saying previously that with, with Fark, it will probably be a relief to get to the end of the window and it will be nice for him to know exactly what he's got, exactly what he hasn't. Because I think even now, if we were saying to him, can you say 100% that Harrison will be here, that Nonto will be here, you know, what's the state of play? I think he would say he's not sure. You know, I think he would say it's, it's difficult to answer that because you don't know what's going to happen in the last few weeks of the window. And you've asked me a few times, did I think Tyler Adams would stay? And I've been quite sort of equivocal about it and said, well, look, the 49ers would like him to stay, but really who's going to bid for him? And and if the bid's good, if there's an offer that he wants to take, then then he goes, doesn't he? Yeah, Chelsea does seem like a slightly strange one in terms of the amount of personnel they've got in midfield. Is is there a, a home for him there? I don't know. And, and is he, I don't know, is he of that quality yet? Because I do have slight question marks about his, his passing, his, his work rate and his positioning and all that sort of stuff is great. But I just wonder about his passing sometimes. What do you think? I think, it's, I think those are fair questions, yeah. But you know that contracts at Chelsea are very, very good. They've got Pochettino, who is the sort of coach that you would really want to play under. You know, he's very highly regarded, um, has done good things in the past. It's it's just a really tempting move all around, isn't it? And I think pound for pound, it's probably as good a move as Adams could could expect. So we'll, we'll see how that one develops. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah, further forward, just in terms of the attacking um, lineup, I thought it performed really, really well in spells in that game against Cardiff. Some Just some beautiful moments. And you could see like Sinistera just, he seems to play the game at his own pace sometimes, doesn't he, Sinistera? Mm. And just have the ball like under his spell almost. There was that moment, I think, over towards the uh, the northwest corner when it looked like it was just going to run away from him and he just trapped it dead under his foot, just stopped it, he just stopped the game and it, it just seems to be in his gift to do that whenever he wants. Is he, will he be here, do you think, at the end of the, um, at the, end of the window? Because he could be such a, val- be. a valuable player in this division. I hope he will be, but uh, you, you sort of answered your, your own question there um, in, in as much as if you were out there looking for a pretty talented winger and you had money to spend, then you would be gravitating slightly towards somebody like him. Pre-season friendlies are always a bit of a nightmare to write about and, and to cover. So when they played Man United in Oslo, I was tweeting at half-time and I just said, only half-time verdict is Sinistera in the Championship would be great. You know, definitely keep him. He's got terrific feet. Obviously, the big focus on Somerville's finish, which was an incredibly difficult chance to stick away from there. One of those that you wonder, another 99 goes at that, how many times would would it find the bottom corner? But there was, just before it as well, terrific spin from Sinistera to give himself the chance to to shoot in the first place and create that that deflection that Somerville stuck away. And that's what you get. You know, there were little moments yesterday too where Nonto's feet, so good and so quick and so difficult to defend against. He was really unlucky not to score with that chance that, that hit the ball. It was a top save from, from Anik, who had a, a pretty good game for Cardiff, I thought. But as a whole, I, I enjoyed it. I can't say I missed VAR. I thought the referee had a really good game. I thought he was right with the penalty calls. I didn't think any of them were penalties. It flowed. It was engaging. It was immensely frustrating for everybody. You could feel that at 2-0 down. And it's not as if we're coming away saying that that is a statement performance or a statement result. Um, But it was like old times, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I I would debate whether the ref had a really good game. I thought I thought he was he was adequate. But then, you know, as a as a home fan, we we always think refs are absolutely abysmal no matter what, don't we? Then they're against our team. I I just I just thought I I thought. I was what? just going to say, I remember you saying on Sunday morning that he sounded like he was six years old. So that is, I think he gets decent marks. Yeah, yeah there, was, I just, there were just moments with the officials where I felt they were they were guessing rather than, like there was a moment particularly, a really a couple of really obvious deflections, throw-ins that they got wrong. And you know, it's only a throw-in near the halfway line, fine. But you want the, de- the decisions to be right, don't you? I just thought sometimes they just guessed and they weren't quite sure. I mean, it must be yeah. hard. Being, it must be hard being a ref. I, I, the, the big call, the big calls. I think they got right. Um, there were some very tight offsides. Um, one in particular with Ailing, um, that you know, um, where Dan James stuck it away at the back post would almost certainly have gone to VAR. I think because because linesmen in the or assistants in the um, in the Premier League seem inclined to to let it flow for that precise reason. But I thought when it was the key the key moments, the key calls, I thought they were I thought they were pretty good. Um in praise of the officials though, I will say it was a pleasant change after experiencing VAR in the Premier League to see them put the flag up when they think it's an offside. And I don't mind them getting it wrong. You know, I thought that afterwards, even though if that had gone to VAR and it had been ruled on side by three millimeters or whatever and they'd drawn the lines, I'm quite fine to accept them getting some of them wrong because the VARs have been getting stuff wrong as well. Oh. It helps the game to flow, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You get a really good flow um, throughout. It was kind of odd, six minutes of injury time at the end of the game, because 
it seemed to be an average of about 20 across the country over the weekend. It was, thir- it was 30. Wow. You see, Sunderland, I watched a bit of the Sunderland game when I got home afterwards. It was like 13 minutes in the second half alone. I know, and I can't really say I'm a huge fan of that because it, it seems to... And I know the whole idea is that you're counting and you're keeping check on wasted time and, and everything else, but it just seems to change the shape of 90 minutes completely. It's it's kind of odd. And I also think we're probably going to find that it's fairly arbitrary as the, the season goes on. There are going to be games where the amount of injury time will seem completely baffling because a little bit like when they change the offside rule or the handball rule or whatever else, nobody will be quite certain about what's going on or how this has been decided. Yeah, and everyone will think it's against them. Yeah, of course. I saw somebody, I saw somebody tweet me this morning saying, the reason we only got six minutes yesterday is because the EFL wanted to keep us in the championship. <laughs> it's the conspiracy. The conspiracy. Um, one game. Meant to ask you as well about um, one of the names that's um, that's emerged today uh, in the last 24 hours. The AZ Alkmaar and Greece player, uh, Pantelis. Can you say the surname for me? I don't want to get this wrong and offend any Greek listeners of you as we might have. Uh, mine will be no better than yours. We'll uh, for it. Uh, chats, chat, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to offend anybody. I did. I did ask the question about him this morning. Um, seemed a bit cold on that front. Um, we know that there is the interest in Nat Phillips at Liverpool, but as of this morning, didn't seem to have been much in the way of, of further developments with that. Tyler Adams was the one first thing that, that became clear that that seems like it, it's at the point of starting to move him to Chelsea. Sounds like but, Liverpool are asking quite a lot of money for Nat Phillips as well. Phil. I think. I think they are. The. the um, Depending on what you, you class as a lot of money, I mean, it would be, I think, in the region of about £10 million, and they might say that that is absolutely market value at the moment or, or thereabouts. But again, you know, they they are going to have to think, and I think the, the injury to Liam Cooper will dictate this as well. If if that is looking like it's going to put him out for, for a little while, they, they need cover. And I thought it was, again, quite telling in the press conference yesterday when Farker was asked about again about incomings he basically said goalkeeper fine everything else I'd quite happily have more you know and that's um, that's really from from front to back so yeah I think we're definitely going to be looking for action over the next 10 days or so and Farker cannot make it any clearer can he what needs to happen here and, and he's very accepting and understanding of the situation but in every interview he's done since he's become manager he's made it clear what needs to happen we need reinforcements yeah I mean Coaches always look for a balance, really, and and they would they would rather be given too much than too little. That that goes without saying. But they do tend to appreciate in most circumstances that you can't just buy, buy, buy. You know there has to be some make weight, and particularly when you when you get relegated. But he can see that he's short, and I think what he'll be mindful of is that if he is short going up, going beyond the end of the transfer window, and if he's short for for a lot of this season it's probably not going to go as well as he would like it to go. And that reflects on him. And, you know, he's not here, I don't think, to to be a championship coach um, for a long period of time. I think he wants to get out of the division as, as quickly as as he can. So, yeah, you know, you, he's. I think he's been pretty brutally honest so far about a lot of things. You know, he hasn't tried to disguise much. He's he, he, he's answered questions when they've been put to him, you know, after the, the friendly at York about Adams and Harrison and about Max Ferber as well. And again, you know, pre-match and post-match last week, it was a case of, yes, I need players and I need them in, in quite a few positions. But he is careful, I think, to reference the fact that, you know, financially, they're not just able to do whatever they like. There, there have to be some compromises. What do you make of the sort of intersection of this, well, the talk that the 49ers would attack the window aggressively? I just find it really, really interesting how that, as, a, as an idea from the 49ers, has then butted up against the arrival of the start of the season versus the reality of the contracts, you know, how those three things are all kind of 
interacting together to make fans frustrated. And fans are always frustrated when there's a, they perceive a lack of action in the market. Um, everybody gets very, very, um, very upset, don't they? And wound up with transfer transfer windows these days. But I just find out how those th- those three things are kind of um, interplaying together. A really interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, that it is the thing you would ask of the 49ers, isn't it? If they if they were sitting down for for an interview, you would you would ask them at this point, are you where you you thought you would be? Given that I think we have to accept that they were never going to have everything done for the start of the season, and even Farker was making it clear right from the outset that this was going to be one that was going to need the back end of the window because of the situation they were in. How aggressive it is, is going to depend on how it looks at the start of September, isn't it? And and whether or not we're looking at it and saying, yeah, do you know what, actually, all things considered, and given that they needed the extent of the window to do it properly, they have invested heavily. They they have been as aggressive as they said they would be, or if we're looking at it and thinking that they've they've undercooked it. With regards to the contracts, and, uh, you know, Farkas, Farkas speaks about this quite a lot, the fact there isn't money coming in, although, you know, for, for people like Tyler Adams or Jack Harrison or, or Nonto Melier, you know, they would pay a fee. You know, there would be a fee involved for them. But what you're talking about there is really players who Leeds want very keen to to lose. That therein lies the problem. But as far as the release clauses go, the the 49ers to an extent must have been aware of what was in what, what were in the player contracts. There are other people at the club who would absolutely have been aware of what was in the contracts. You know, Angus Kinnear, as CEO, signs these off. I, I get that Victor Alter has gone, director of football, who would have been involved in you know, negotiations going back to, to 2017 for how players were, were signed. But it can't have been a complete surprise that having gone down, some of these clauses were, were going to kick in. So while they make it problematic, they were always going to make it problematic on the basis that most contracts in the Premier League have a release clause of some sort, particularly with players of of decent level of value. So, you know, I, I totally get, I, I was saying in my report this morning, I've been chasing the tail off summer. So realistically, you couldn't expect a barnstorming start to the season. And you joked yesterday about setting up a graphic of Leeds for Cardiff. No, you're trying to draw me into prediction. And I was sort of saying, <laughs> I, I really I really don't know. I got you my know, four I, goals. He did, he did, yeah. Um, I, I was saying, I really don't know. You know, I'm not not totally sure. And it does feel like it will be a, a slightly slow burn potentially to to begin with. So there are there is mitigation here and you know there are excuses for the window being difficult. But I don't think there there would be excuses for it going badly, if you know what I mean. I think by the end of the window they have to be seen to have done the right thing or thereabouts. Yeah, and they've allowed this the, the phrase about attacking it aggressively to to seed. Um it's been one of those things that's kind of taken on a, a bit of a, a life of its own. And the problem is that will mean different things to different people mm-hmm. so people yeah. will interpret it and say well is this being aggressive and obviously we've still got three weeks and a bit of the uh, of the window to run but it's going to when you say things like that it's going to raise question marks isn't it yeah I think individually something like Ampadu at seven million pounds rising to ten that to my mind falls into the fairly aggressive category I think Dalo less so in terms of finance, but I still think you're signing a good goalkeeper there who had the option of going to Bournemouth, but you've you know you've you've talked him into to this move instead. But they need to do more. They need to do more. I think it's the key positions, isn't it? And particularly up front. I think I think where there will be an issue is if they go into September with say Bamford and Ruta as the two, or and Matteo Joseph as the, the, the options up front. 
with injuries already having affected them, I think as having seen over the past two years that the injuries with Bamford can become niggly and and can you know can be drawn out from one hamstring strain into a, a few issues. They can't afford to make the same failings that the club have made previously because that's the point, isn't it? That is the point of new ownership is that things change and things are, are different. And you know the the little that has been said so far is kind of kind of pushed that that message that. Things will change and things will will be different, and that's what you you have to see. But I do accept that we need the whole window in which to be certain about what's what's gone on because it was never going to be done by now. And another game that's coming midweek, Phil, um, the Shrewsbury Cup game, as you mentioned earlier on, they're coming off the back of a one nil win in their season opener against Cheltenham Town. Obviously, we can't read anything into the tables right now. Not quite a Barnsley seven niler um, this one to start the season, but you do wonder how many changes not necessarily the Farker would like to make but that he can make yeah yeah because he was saying before the game and again afterwards that he'd been working with 16 players last week there have been a lot of injuries and clearly there are a lot of injuries no doubt about that but I think because of that he'll be incredibly mindful of the need to look after everybody for Birmingham you know and, and not to take massive risks this is a game where you feel that if he makes the right changes and picks a strong enough side Leeds should should get through but you know, just talking of compromise, he, he might have to make some compromises in, in this game because he doesn't have two squads. You know, he doesn't have two sets of 11 to, to pick from at the moment. So the lineup will be will be quite fascinating. Yeah, so maybe managing minutes, maybe Pervader gets a run out in this one. I think so. I think. Yeah, I think so. Maybe Gilhart, um, others like that, um, perhaps get a few more minutes into Creswell's legs, that, that sort of thing. But I think to go back to Archie Gray, do you... Even if you you want to keep him ticking over, do you play him against Shrewsbury when you know that you need him um, against Birmingham on Saturday? I'm I'm not so sure that you do. Maybe you go with JB for this one instead of uh, Perhaps, instead of yeah. Archie Gray. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll watch this one with interest, and we will get together towards the end of the week, Phil, for the Friday show, and we will um, we'll see how we get on against Shrewsbury, and we'll preview Birmingham then as well. All right. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. 